Hey there, this is Tammy File, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. We want you to know that whatever you're facing, we are here praying for you. And we pray that you're able to experience the presence of the Lord in your circumstances and that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter to God. All right, the next thing I want us to look at is 1 Chronicles 5.20, which is our next, um, this is the memory verse that we've been looking at. That's the next slide. They cried out to God during the battle, and he answered their prayer because they trusted in him. He answered their prayer because they trusted in him. We're going to be trying to almost memorize this passage so that when we have troubles, we remember. Sometimes we don't think of ours as a battle, but it is. So when we have troubles, we need to cry out to God. He can answer our prayers then because we trust him. So I guess that sort of implies that we can't just cry out to God and then try to fix it ourselves entirely either. So we do actually have to wait on him to come through a little bit. Um, is he your first resort or your last resort? First resort. Sometimes it depends on how big it is and how, whether we think we can handle it. Okay. All right. Let's begin in prayer then um, tonight, please. Father God, I thank you that you have brought us here together. I stand before these women um, very uh, drained today and um, very devoid of inspiration as far as um, just feeling your Holy Spirit moving in a powerful way. But even if I cannot feel that, God, even if I feel very um, empty inside as far as sapped, not in my relationship with you, but just that my battery is beeping right now, then God, I pray they won't experience that, that your Holy Spirit will come in power, Father, through your word. And what I never have to know that that happened. But I pray, Father, that my um, limitations will in no way cause limits on what you desire to do here tonight. Father God, I pray. I just call out to you in this moment of battle for myself that you will come and do this. I am trusting you. And God, I, I pray for these women who are in battles as well. Um, sometimes we have good weeks and good days and times of victory, and sometimes the battle is ferocious. Sometimes, God, we are trying to climb a mountain that gets bigger with every step we take forward. Some of us, God, have crushed hearts here tonight. Some of us have answered prayers. Father, for those who are strong, I pray that you will encourage them to pray now for their sisters who are weak, who they do not always know that that's true of. And Father, for those who are weak, I pray that they will lean on you and trust in you even when it seems that there's no hope, because that is what you specialize in, is impossible situations. Father, for your signature to be on it, many times it has to be impossible in any other way. And so, Father, I pray that you will do those things in our lives, but that you'll also help us to, to rely on you and to hold on to you in those times so that when we feel overwhelmed or feel discouraged or feel like quitting or feel like giving up, that you will remind us 
that we need to lean into you and that impossible is your specialty. So God, I pray you come. You've asked me to pray this for these women and another set of women, God, that you will move heaven and earth on their behalf, on our behalf. And God, I I believe you are already doing that. But sometimes when heaven and earth is quaking and the mountains are shifting, it's pretty scary down here. So God, I just pray that you'll give us that peace inside and that hope that we need to stay firmly attached to you, God. You are our only answer. There is no other. We all know, I think by now, that our own strength is miserably weak. No matter how much we think of our opinions and think of our ways, we haven't a clue how to to negotiate life in the ways you would desire without your wisdom, understanding, and strength. And so, God, now come and teach in authority and power in these women's hearts and lives and do what you desire to do. We are grateful to you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first verse before we look in um, in our passage in 2 Kings, the first verse I want you to see is John 10, 10. We will have quoted it a zillion times by now. This thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This uh, passage is, is something that we always need to fall back on. I want us to have a very clear definition of the enemy's work. I believe that I have established this throughout, but I want tonight to make it very clear because your homework is going to be looking at both the enemy's work and, and the Lord's work, God's work in your life. So when you see steal, kill, and destroy, what you can know is that anything in your life that has felt stolen, robbed, taken from you, that has been um, killed, in other words, that's something that died in you. Not something God asked to die. Last week we talked about when God asked something to die. But something that died a, a, a bad death, and it wasn't God's signature on it. Or anything that has been destroyed. Destruction is the mark of the enemy. What I want you to understand is all of those things have the enemy's signature on them. And when you see what God's part in it, it is life. He is a God of life. And so I was having a conversation with a friend this week and she was, um, she said, you know, sometimes people get, um, I guess a little, uh, used to the terms captivity and freedom and those kinds of things and, and a little confused about that. But, but what I want you to know is in the church culture, we have often talked about growth. Growth. And sometimes the growth equals, we think, having devotions regularly, tithing, coming to church, that's growth. Sisters, that is outward behaviors, but it isn't necessarily growth. Growth is when God takes what is inside a human heart, mind, soul, and body and begins to transform it into his life, to fill it with his life. But to do that, God does not take a heart and life that is already crammed full. And by the way, you may have been full by the time you were 10 years old. It depends on who you are. You could have been filled with really good things, but you might have been filled with a lot of other stuff. He doesn't just pour his life on top of that. It's as we let go of things, as he, there there is death, there are things that must leave for his life to take up residence and fill us. 
And so this whole process, when we talk about this, for the rest of your life, you are going to come into moments of discovery with God. If you continue your personal walk with him, you're going to come into um, moments of discovery with him where he shows you something that a long time ago, your belief system was skewed in, something you've understood for a long time. And then he'll He'll tweak it. Uh, sometimes he'll radically overhaul it. Some There's some big ones, but then there's smaller ones where it's a perspective shift. And when he does that, when he changes your perspective on the same situation, nothing changed in your past. Nothing about that situation could be undone at this point. But when your perspective shifts, that is where life comes in. And that's where you've let go of something that has been in its place. So you will be in this process for the rest of your life. And I hope you'll celebrate that because the more he uncovers in me, the more wonderful I feel that I'm rid of that stuff. And so I'm thankful for that. And I pray that you will be too. But I want us to have that clear definition. The And so uh, I think this is on your uh, outline The work of the enemy is anything that has been stolen, killed, or destroyed. Some of you may have already gotten that written in there. The work of the enemy is anything that has been stolen, killed, or destroyed. All right, as soon as you get uh, that written down, I'm going to go ahead and start reading in 2 Kings chapter 5. We're beginning a story about the prophet Elisha. Um. Did I say four? Yes, four. Okay. Four verse eight. I put, um, does it say eight in your outline? Verse eight? Okay, good. I have it wrong on my outline, but it, you've got it right. Verse eight. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there and, and she urged him to come home with her for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, Next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hope up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. And we're going to pause there to unpack this a little bit. I I really like it that the, that the uh, scriptures capture her reply when she says, don't get my hopes up. How many times do you pray for something, but in the back of your mind, you're, you're afraid to hope that it might actually come true. We're afraid to hope. 
I like it in verse 14 where it says, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? It is a gracious and wonderful thing when you hear someone who cares about your life and your concerns so much that they could say, what can I give back to to her? Elisha was a man of God. And so this comes directly from God, which brings us to point number one on your outline. I want to ask you tonight, do you believe that your God is a good God? Your blank there is a good God. Do you believe that your God is a good God? I know I've taught it a great deal up here, but until God does something inside of our each of our own hearts, we're not 100% convinced. You know, your head, your mind, and we're going to talk much more about this in the days ahead, but your mind can have all the Sunday school answers. That's what I call them. And they know the answers, but your heart is where your belief system is lodged. And that can doubt. No need to be ashamed of that. That's the way God designed us to work. But until the heart believes it, is convinced of it, you'll have a nice little civil war in there. Do you believe that your God is a good God? If you ever have to answer no in your own spirit to a question that is presented to you in the Bible, you take that as a sign from God that he wants to do that in your life. You begin to say, God, I'm not convinced of this. So would you please remember me in this and and teach this to me and show it to me? I don't want to go without that. Number two on your outline, do you believe that your God is a giving God? Do you believe that your God is a giving God? Elisha wanted to give something back to this woman who had given to him. And he gave her what he had, which was something with the power of the Holy Spirit. When we looked at John 10.10 earlier about the uh, life and, and more abundant and that kind of thing. I want you to know that the word that says full life, abundant life is the word parashua. It's a Greek word. It means this super abundantly, excessively. It abundant comes pretty close to that. But, but do you know in the Strong's dictionary, it literally says super abundantly. I'd never even seen that word that I can remember. Excessively. We're so afraid of excess, (laughs) and rightly so for certain things. But God is a giving God, full of life, excessive life. Excessive life. Um, In verse 16, where he says that he wants to give her a child. I want to perform this miracle on your behalf is basically what he's saying. But he just blurts it out. This is what's going to happen. And her response is very emotional. What I want to ask you is tonight, because here's what, this is: these questions are not for a year down the road. When you are spending time with God in his word, it is appropriate to your life now. Now, there are certain things that will grab one individual in a message that will not necessarily grab you. But you always want to be listening to the Holy Spirit when God's word is opened. So what I would ask you is her response was pretty dramatic. I want to ask you tonight is how will you respond when confronted with the possibility of a great move of God on your behalf? How will you respond if God 
gets a suggestion to you that says he wants to do something mighty, not just something average, something mighty, something impossible, which is point number three on your outline. Will you doubt it or will you embrace it? Will you doubt it or will you embrace it? Some of your answer in this depends on what your answers are with number one and two, if you believe God is a good God or if he's a, if you believe he's a giving God. But I also have to say, if you've not experienced a great deal of goodness, if you haven't seen God move in extraordinary ways for you yet, doubt and fear are what keep us tied up in that. We're afraid to hope. I remember when God first began to teach me to hope. It's a hard thing to hope when everything says you should have no hope. So tonight I just want to ask you, do you believe your God is good and do you believe that your God is giving? We're going to pick up our story in verse 17 now. Nope. Yeah, I'm going to start in 17 again. But sure enough, the one, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Now, I just pause and say, don't you think she would have been a little more friendly with her husband after the suggestion that a baby might come? Yes. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today? He asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it will be all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry and don't slow down unless I tell you to. And as she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him, the child is still dead. 
When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi. Call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elisha said, Here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. That's a powerful story. I want to ask you tonight, how will you respond when trouble comes upon you? Thank you for listening in. I pray that God has stirred something within you today. You can find more information about this study at TammyFile.com.